you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas Eve. Wonderful. It's good to see those of you who are here with us in person and want to welcome those of you who are joining us online as we are concluding our series called Behold, looking at the story and the season of Advent through the life and the lens of John the Baptist. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a heads up right off the bat that the beginning of the sermon, this opening part, will be a little bit more lighthearted, and then we're going to enter into maybe some more difficult questions in navigating that, because in the same way that a sermon can be kind of lighthearted and also have some heavy moments, in the same way is the same way that we experience a season like Christmas, where there can be really great traditions, things that we're happy about, seeing people doing things that we haven't done in a while and, and having those memories, but there's also the tension and also the dynamic that Christmas can be a very difficult season for many of us. And so we navigate this idea, this tension between, you know, the joy, it's the most wonderful time of the year, and for many can also be a very sorrowful time of the year. And knowing that it's partially because of the sorrow, part of the darkness and grief that we experience, that we need the light and the hope and the life of Jesus and the meaning of Christmas. And so we're going to start off lighthearted, and then we're going to kind of kick it into a different gear and navigate some, some difficult questions that maybe some of us in this room or joining us or joining online are wrestling with in this and honestly in every season of our lives, some heavy, heavy things. So Wanted to give a little disclaimer up there at the very top just to give you an idea of where we're going. But in order to have it start very lighthearted, our topic today is called Watch. And there's a tradition or there is a um, kind of a, a, a craze that started over the past several years. Our family doesn't do it, but we know many who do. Is anyone here familiar with Elf on the Shelf? Does anyone know what that is about? Okay, we have some people who have an idea of Elf on the Shelf. If you don't know, the story behind it or the idea behind it is that, well, there's a, a card or a story that Santa can't keep an eye out on all the kids. And so parents will put an elf on a shelf, at least to start off, that's keeping an eye and watching what the kids are doing, whether they're on the nice list, whether they're on the naughty list, are they doing the right thing, are they doing the wrong thing? And it's this whole dynamic of then the story goes that the elf will leave every night and will go to Santa, report everything, come back, and then usually in the morning, the kids will see uh, the elf is up to certain hijinks or something unique. So here's an example of when they show up wake, and wake up in the morning, uh, they might see an elf that is just like hanging up at the top of the chandelier. I like this one because it's like Elsa from Frozen just froze the elf on a shelf in ice. I'm like, the amount of planning and thinking ahead that parents go through in order to make this work is very impressive. Um, so this is the idea, right? There's, it's, it's this concept that gives kids this idea that, okay, the elf is going to be watching you. In fact, we see a couple pictures here um, of examples that different parents have used. And this one, you can't necessarily read it, but this is a special delivery. And it says, you know, you are official report that you are on the nice list, not the naughty list. And so it's a note from Santa Claus saying, hey, you're on the nice list. Good job. And it's presented by the elf. The idea being that if you touch the elf, it loses its magic and it goes away. So that way kids don't play with it. Um, but also... Uh, He's going to report what's going on. So here's another one. I'm not going to read the whole story. But this is an example. It says, Dear Carl and Jack, 
This is from Sansa. I was so disappointed to hear from your elves that you have all been fighting. As you know, your elves have all been clearly watching you. They can see and hear everything that is happening in your home. And goes on to say, don't argue, don't do that, uh, and I hope that their next report will be better. Now, to be, to be honest, like I think when we're younger and we sing songs like, like Santa Claus, like he sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. We're like, oh, he's keeping an eye on us. Like now it's like, that's a lot, Santa. Like give me some privacy. Like, but just navigating this idea of elves, in this case, it's this idea of kids. As kids, we grow up with this idea that we are being watch and we want to do the right thing and we need to do the right thing so we're on the nicest not the naughty list and this last picture is more humorous where the parents put like googly eyes on all the fruit and it just says remember I'm watching you and you got to have the context because that can sound creepy but in this case it's like oh like we're keeping an eye now this is lighthearted. And, and we recognize that this is different than how real life works, and we recognize that this is not something that we take as, as truth, that there's an elf, that, you know. But here's the thing. The concept is still there that we come into the Christmas season, season uh, especially on Christmas Eve, and we think about, um, you know, we want, growing up, we want to get the right gifts. We want to be able to be on the nice list. Real quick, show, quick show of hands. How many of you, growing up, were those who went and searched your parents' like hiding spots for your gifts when you're growing up. It's okay, you're in church, you can confess your sins and God is righteous and just to forgive you of all. Awesome, how many of you did not? You were just like, no, I'm just, I just want to be surprised. How many of you ever stumbled into a gift? Do you ever just stumble into a gift? You're like, well, yeah, why, like, you know, why is there you know, Legos inside the freezer in the, in the veggies bag? I don't know, but um, we have this context, right? We're in this season, we, we, kids are growing up and they're like, okay, we want to hear, oh, I think I heard Santa, or we're watching out for the gifts as they grow underneath the tree, or we're keeping an eye out for these. There's an expectation that comes with watching. And so what does it look like in your life and in mine when we have expectations of what God is going to do or has done or will do in our lives? What happens when those don't always go how we expect? What happens when we think we're going to get this gift that's been under, on our wish list and we think that we've been nice, we're not naughty, we should get there for what we feel like we want? And what happens when maybe it's not coal, but maybe it's not what we had hoped for, not what we had wanted, and not what we expected? And that's different if it's Santa, but what does that look like when our relationship with God, we think, God... I thought you were going to do this in my life, or I thought you were going to provide in this way. I thought you were going to meet me here, and our expectations don't always match. What do we need to watch out for and to keep an eye out for so that we can fix our eyes on Jesus, even when our expectations don't come to fruition the way we'd hoped? So our sermon this morning is called Watch. As we close, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. And before we jump in, will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether live in person, live online, watching or listening later throughout the week. And Lord, recognizing the fact that, um, Lord, that you keep watch over us, Lord, that you are with us and that you know what's going on. And that's not in a, in a I'm going to catch you way like the elf on the shelf, Lord, but instead it's you know our coming in, our going out. You know the hairs on our heads. You know the cries of our heart. You know the desires that we have, and you know the grief and the weight of brokenness that we experience. So Holy Spirit, would you meet us here this morning as we navigate some difficult questions through 
the eyes and the lens and the life of John the Baptist, of how we can still watch for you, even when we don't necessarily feel or understand you. I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease and that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to start off again. We'll be in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 1. We're going to hit verses 1 through 15 this morning, spending the, the, the main part of our time right around verse 6. But we're going to ask some questions. We're going to ask some questions that maybe John the Baptist asked and that we can resonate with as well. The first question that we see uh, that John wants to find out the answer to is, did I get it wrong? Did I, did I misunderstand, Jesus, who you are? Did I think I understood you, but now because of circumstances, now because of expectations not being met, now because we're suffering, God, did I get this wrong? Jesus, did I not understand who you truly are? So let's start Matthew 11, starting in verse 1. It says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So this is important because we don't hear the whole story here, but the story of why John the Baptist is in prison is that he was someone who spoke out against the ruler, Herod Antipas, who married his brother's wife, and he called out and said that it was wrong. Herod Antipas threw him into jail. And during that time, Herod Antipas's new wife, his Herodias, his, her daughter, Salome, you don't need to know all the names, but she danced to celebrate Herod's birthday. And he, she danced so well that in front of all the guests, Herod said, you know, up to half the kingdom, up to half the kingdom, anything you want, I'll give to you. And so we see that John the Baptist is here, and we'll find out, and we don't go too much into it here now, but shortly after this interaction with John's disciples being sent to Jesus, Salome then says, she asked the mom, Herodias, what do, what do I ask for? And Herodias says, the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. So this man who's been faithful, John the Baptist, who's been faithful to the calling, he, as we've said before, he's so clear in who he is, and he's so clear that who he's not, so that he can communicate clearly about who Jesus is, he's done all the right things. He went off into the desert. He never cut his hair. He never had wine. He never lived in this way that um, would be according to the world. He, he uh, deprived himself of so many things in order to be so in line with who God is and the calling he had for him. And he had this moment where then he hears about Jesus who, you know, does go to, to the first miracle was that he went to a wedding feast and, and allowed water and caused water to go into wine. So he's able to, to eat and to drink differently. He's, Jesus isn't someone who's going off in the desert like John. Jesus is someone who's hanging out and, and enjoying good food and, and hanging out with people that he probably shouldn't. And all of a sudden, John's expectations of who Jesus is and what he would do are starting to maybe get a little confusing. Instead of running away from Jesus when our expectations, when his expectations did not match, he went to him and said, can you, you know, he sends his disciples and say, can you ask the question, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Because everything I thought you were going to do, you're not doing. Did I did I get it wrong? Did I misunderstand? Should we be looking, John's disciples asked, should we look for someone else instead of you, Jesus, to be the Messiah? Now, 
To illustrate this, a couple weeks ago, I uh, showed this picture. So I have a picture here of how Shailen uh, was, you know, kind of this lead elf in the story elf, and she's the one that introduced the problem. And it's because of the conversation that she had with this other elf that Buddy finds out that he's not a human, and the whole story starts. And we talked, we joked about how Shailen was like, was recognizing like she's not the main character, but we joked, well, without you, this this whole thing wouldn't work. And we talked about it two weeks ago, the idea we need to know our role in order to know what part we're supposed to play, that we can't choose the part we play, but we can choose how well we play that part. That like John, we know who we are, we know who we aren't, so we can clearly communicate who Jesus is. I finished the sermon, and I go home after the second service. Steph was attending first service, and she says, JP, I need to tell you something. And I was like, what? She says, that's not Shaylin in the picture. I was like, it's not? And so then let's go to the next picture. And... This is Shaylin. This is my actual daughter. This is the one that I know. And I was looking at the picture. I'm like, oh, like, I don't remember doing her. Or let's be clear. I never do her hair. I don't remember her hair being done that way. And I don't remember that. And I remember, you know, she had a blonde co-star. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, like, this is the picture they gave us. I found. I'm like, okay, this is Shaylin. And so from the beginning, like last two weeks ago when I'm sharing it, as her dad, I wasn't paying enough attention. I wasn't watching enough to know that this is not right. I got this wrong. And so that's when she's like, that's not Shaylin. I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to confess. And so this is where I share this. And, you know, this is clearly Shaylin, and they're, they're having the same scene, and it's the same moment. But even someone who knows the daughter well, like, even I'm like, yeah, I messed up. I got it wrong. Imagine the, the impact, the importance of, you know, I can show a picture, and it can change, you know, I could say, hey, here's what happened. You're still probably like, you know, you need to be at least 17% better as a dad, and I receive that. But... But acknowledging the fact that we can now, but imagine John the Baptist, who knew from the very beginning, his dad, Zechariah, would tell him the story of the miraculous birth. He would see his mom, Elizabeth, being growing old and, and having him in his old age, in her old age, excuse me. He would know that Zechariah would tell him, here's the song I sang over your birth, that John, you would have an impact. You would proclaim the good news, that you would pave the way for the Messiah to come. And John lives out in the desert and he deprives himself of worldly things in order to be so devout, to know who he is, to know who he is. And so he can communicate clearly about who Jesus is. And then Jesus doesn't act any of the ways that he expects. He goes and he has, you know, is at celebrations. He hangs out with prostitutes and he hangs out with the tax collectors, the lowest of the low, the, the ones who would be rejected. He goes and he cuts his hair, and he drinks wine, and he does all these different things. And then when John the Baptist stands up and says, you know, Herod, you're wrong, he goes into jail, and yet Jesus doesn't live the way John thinks he should. He's saying, you're not meeting my expectations. Are you the one? Is there another one? Did I get this wrong, Jesus? Did I misunderstand you? We continue on verse 4 and 5. Here's how Jesus responds. And like Siobhan read in the reading, it's, it's not a direct, yes, I am the one. Here's how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And so the response is, when we ask, God, did I get this wrong? And Jesus, you know, he, he'll say, hey, watch 
Watch what God is doing all around you. This is one kind of watching we can do. It's, it's saying, look around and see. Now, we may not all see the blind um, receive sight, but we've seen God answer prayers. We've seen God move. We've had moments where God has provided. We've had times when we, we've been able to see, okay, God is moving. And that doesn't take away from the moments he doesn't. And we still wrestle with that. And we'll hit on those moments that are really hard. And so some of you here, joining on, or here in person or online, have experienced great loss this year. It could be the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of hope, the loss of a relationship, a loss of something that is heavy. And we could sit here and think, you know, Christmas while it should be the most wonderful time of the year, according to the songs, this feels like a sorrowful time this year. And so I want to try something, and I don't need, um, we're not, we're not going to ask for details. But if you're struggling or you're in a season where you're like, I'm, I'm hurting and, and I need to see that God is doing something. I'm just going to ask, um, I'm going to ask that uh, a question, and if this responds to you, you don't, we're not going to get stories, but just raise your hand. That way, if, you're, if someone's struggling, they could see how God is working. So has anyone here uh, in this past year or, or recently had a moment where you've seen God answer a prayer that you'd have? Raise your hand nice and high to encourage the others around us. Okay, thank you. How many of you have seen uh, God provide for you? Whether Maybe it's financially, maybe it's relationally, maybe it's that, but how many of you have seen God provide for you at some point throughout this year? Awesome, thank you. How many of you in moments of sadness have just felt God's presence, whether it's through prayer or worship or you're just driving in a car and there's something that someone says, and you're like, yes, that hit me right there. How many of you felt God's presence at some point this year? Awesome. Now, not all of us are going to be feeling all those things all the time, right? So as you raise your hand, if you raise your hand for any of the three questions, can you raise it one more time and can everyone take a look around? At some point this year, not everyone has, uh, has everything working out, but at some point, if you are struggling, you can look around and you can see, okay, God is doing something around us. And you can think, okay, God has done something in my life, and I'm hurting now, and that does not take away from the pain. I am not dismissing or diminishing the heartache. But I'm saying in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the heartache, Sometimes it's encouraging to remember that God is still working around us. And we can look down and we could get discouraged or we could watch what God is doing in those around us. We could see he's still moving. So we say, God, did I get this wrong? And then he says, well, I'm the one that still provided for you relationally or financially or, or job or something. I'm the one who still answers your prayers. I'm the one who reveals my presence to you in any and every season. And we can look around and we can still experience the fact that he is the one. We may, our expectations may be different, but Jesus is still the Messiah. He's still living and active. He's still working and he still sends the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our guide in this and every season. There's a, a quote from a theologian who wrote this, like, this is what it means to watch. We have to begin with what we can see. So we raise our hands and say, yes, God has worked, or yes, God has showed up, or yes, this has happened. We can start with that. Then there will come times when we are allowed to watch and hire things. What does that mean? That means that there will be times that what we can see, we can be encouraged because God is working in our lives or someone around us. 
But then there are going to be times, in, even, and maybe you're in this time now, where you don't necessarily see that. But God allows us to see how he's taking us deeper and how he's loving us um, and he's closer to us in our pain. That he whispers to us because he's close in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our darkness. And so whatever season we are in, we can take initial solace that he's working around us. And then prayerfully and hopefully we can take solace in how he is working in us. So we ask the first question, did I get it wrong? That's the first. The second question that we have for us today is a hard one. And I'm going to be clear, before we even show, don't show it yet. Before we even show it on here, I will tell you, I do not have the answer for this question in your life. Because I don't have the answer for this question in my own. But it's a question that any of us who have ever struggled with any moment of any difficulty or season of trial, we ask this question. It's a dangerous question. It's an important question. Why is God doing this? Why did I lose my job? Why is my child that I, grew, that I raised in the faith falling away from the faith? Why did someone I love get sick? Why did someone I love not get better? Why didn't God answer the prayers that I had? Why did he not meet my expectations? Why is God doing this? This is a heavy, heavy question. I told you that we're going to navigate some difficult things this morning. Uh, there's a theologian uh, talking about this verse with John when he's asking the question. He says this, Anthony uh, Salderini says, in Matthew's narrative, John's inquiry about the Messiah stems from sincere doubt since John expected the Messiah to inaugurate imminent direct intervention in the world and divine judgment. He expected when he went with John was saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He expects the Messiah to come and to show that all who were righteous would be rewarded. All who were evil and wicked would be punished to institute that the Roman empire would be laid waste and that the Hebrew Messiah would be the king who sits on an actual earthly throne in order to bring the people back to how it was originally um, with the, the hope of a messianic kingdom. And none of those things happened the way that John expected. It's imminent. It's, it's now. There's urgency to it. And then nothing changed. At least nothing that he expected to change changed. So why is God doing this? And again, I don't have the answer for why God has allowed certain things in your life or in my life. What I do know is we've talked about this, especially during seasons of tragedy as a church. Uh, within the past few years, we talk about and we cling to the fact that we will not always get the answer to our why. But we can cling to the hope of the answer that Jesus is the who. That he is the one who is with us. And we don't know the why, but we know who is with us in the midst of it. That when we're facing the storms, he is, our hope in Christ is like an anchor that holds us through, that we can find our hope in him. That we know that we might be hard-pressed on every side, but we are not beaten or broken down. That we might feel like a, like, a, like a bruised reed that's barely breaking, but a bruised reed he does not break off. A smoldering wick he does not snuff out. He meets us in our brokenness. And so when we have expectations that do not come to fruition... We will never, we may never, sometimes we might find out, but we may never know the why. But that doesn't take away from what we do know about the who. 
So why is God doing this? The answer of what we need to watch for in this time is to watch for God's help, especially in the darkness. Because like John in the prison, we have a choice to make. We either say, God is broken. You know, he, he has not met my expectations. I'm going to wallow in this difficult time, and I'm going to stop seeking him. I can either run to him with my questions, or I could run from him with my questions. I could run to him with my doubts, or I could run from him because of my doubts. I can make this choice that John did. Now, there's some, theolo- or some commentators who look at this question, and they think John didn't actually have questions. He asked this question for the sake of his disciples. And that also may be true because the disciples would come to John and say, they don't, they don't, or he, they would talk to the Jesus disciples, like, why don't you fast like you do? Why, why don't you clean yourself the same way that we do? And why do you do that? And Jesus would respond. The idea like, well, when the bridegroom is with his, like his friends, when he's with the bridegroom, they celebrate, they don't fast. So whether it's for the disciples or for John himself, the question is, when we have these doubts, when our expectations aren't met, will we watch for God? Will we choose to run to him with our doubts rather than run from him because of our doubts? So Tish Harrison Warren says it this way, we are called to watch and to pray, even and perhaps especially in seasons of darkness. I have learned that in the darkness, I need to look out more intentionally for the helper, for the ways God is actively noticing and loving us. It's a discipline to still see God when we don't see him working in our lives. It's a discipline to still expect God to move when it feels like our expectations of how we thought he would move don't get met. It's important for us to have the expectation of watching rather than simply just allowing things to happen. So there's a difference, like when I'm, uh, at home sometimes if I'm trying to do some mindless work, not mindless, but you know, something that I don't need to do sermon prep or anything like that. And if I'm just looking at little things, I can have a TV show on in the background or I can listen to sports talk radio in the background and I don't need to actually engage. But there's a difference between when I need to focus and when I'm actually, you know, can just have something in the background. Because if I want to watch what I'm doing or focus on it, then I need to eliminate distractions and say, this is my focus right now. There's a difference between having ambient noise and actually listening. There's a difference between kind of vaguely perceiving and actually watching. There's a difference between, God, this is really hard, and saying, God, this is really hard, but I still want to watch for how you are still really good. Again, I'm not dismissing any pain or heartache for anyone in this room. So please don't leave this place and say, well, JP told me just to feel better. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God is still good even when our circumstances are not. And where we pay attention, where we fix our eyes, what we watch determines our worldview and it determines the degree of faith and hope we have. So will we intentionally keep our eyes on Jesus in the midst of times when our expectations of him don't match up with the reality of our lives? Here's how Jesus responds in verses 4 and 5. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. We read these verses already, but what I want to do is unpack because when, Je- when Jesus is answering this, he's not answering John saying yes, he's saying watch, look around. But there's a reason why he used some of these phrases that he specifically used. So what we're going to do is we're going to put up a few verses here. And I know this is hard to see, and so uh, we can try our best to be able to look at it. Here's the verse that we're studying. And here are different verses that um, point to this. So verse 4 and 5, the idea the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, dead are raised, the the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Why does he use those as examples? Well, these are all messianic passages. This one actually is a passage of what Jesus proclaims about who he is in Luke chapter 4. And it comes from the Septuagint version of the Isaiah 61. So these are passages in Isaiah about the Messiah that are saying this is what the Messiah will do. And so let's, we're going to go to this next page and we're going to match up some of the things that we see here. So let's go to the next slide. Look at the color yellow. The blind receive sight. We see here in Isaiah 35, 5, uh, that the Messiah will come and the eyes of the blind will be opened. We also see in Isaiah 61, or the Luke 4 version, when Jesus says, I've come so that there would be recovery to sight for the blind. The orange, it's kind of hard that's orange, that I apologize, that's not as clear as I thought. The orange, it says the lame walk. What we see here in Isaiah, the lame leap like a deer. The green, the deaf hear. We see here that in Isaiah 35, that the ears of the deaf would be unstopped. The dead are raised in blue. Isaiah 26 says, your dead will rise, or your dead will live, Lord, their bodies will rise. And the purple, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And the last part of Luke 4, um, verses 20 and 21, verse 20 says, Jesus rolled up the scroll, reading this out loud from Isaiah, and said, today this has been completed in your hearing. This is fulfilled in your presence. Jesus is saying, John, look at the things around you. They all are pointing to the Messiah. They are all saying, eyes, the blind see, the deaf will hear, the lame will leap. The good news is being proclaimed to the poor. The dead will rise. He's saying, I am the Messiah. Look around. Watch and see what I'm doing. Because I know I'm not meeting your expectations but I am still working and I am who I say I am and I can still give you hope. Now, when Isaiah 61 verse one and specifically the Luke four version right here, so I'm gonna focus here. There's a couple sections so that you're not gonna see here. So um, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, we don't see that in any of these verses. Um, in this one, you see the leprosy is cleansed. That's not specifically in the Old Testament anywhere else. But there's one section that's missing. One section that you'll notice, might be specifically relevant to John and his situation. Let's go to the next slide. What's missing is, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. Where's John right now? He's in prison. He's in prison because he spoke out against an oppressive king, Herod, and he spoke out against his sinfulness and being married to his brother's wife and all that stuff. He's in prison. And Jesus says, look around. All these other things that speak to the Messiah, they're happening. They are going on. They are fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah. The same prophet that John, you, have said, 
you know that you are a voice crying out in the wilderness, make way and prepare a place, a road for the Lord. So he's quoting the prophet that John would know so well because that's the prophet that John used to say, this is who I am. This is who I'm not. I'm not the Messiah because he needed to clearly communicate about who Jesus is. And he says, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Jesus doesn't include that. Now, that could just be circumstantial, or is it possible that Jesus is saying, John, that means I'm not guaranteeing that you are going to be freed from this prison. All, All these other things are happening, but I'm not promising that you are going to get out of your difficult situation that you are in now. I'm not promising that I'm going to meet your expectations because this is the words of Jesus, not me. Because his ways, my ways, he says, are above your ways. My plans are above your plans. That's also from Isaiah. Jesus talks about and and God shows us that and we want to trust in him with our own heart and lean not on our own understanding, our own expectations, but in all our ways acknowledge him and he can make our path straight. And so he's saying, look around. All these messianic prophecies are coming true, and I, the Messiah, am doing this, but it doesn't mean I'm going to meet all your expectations and what you're going through right now. It doesn't mean that you are going to be set free. It doesn't mean that you are going to get out of prison. This is a hard teaching, and that's why verse 6 Even though it wasn't on the screen, I keep reading it because it's so vital to understanding of this. Verse 6 says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is the one whose expectations of God and what he would do have fallen apart. The expectations aren't meeting reality and blessed is the one who will not stumble. Blessed is the one who even if they do stumble, get up and keep walking with me. Blessed is the one who does not allow the why question to take away from the truth answer of who Jesus is. Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. This verse has been messing with me all week. My plan for the sermon was not to necessarily go this direction we're about to go for the next few minutes, but there's a book that I read uh, several years ago, and then I reread it this week. Uh, don't be that impressed. It was like an hour and a half audiobook, but so it's it's still you know it's still good. Uh, this is a beautiful book written by Gene Edwards. Gene Edwards is a pastor, uh, evangelist, and he writes um, the two the three books I've read. Uh, they are books that look at a character in the Bible and dramatizes it a little bit, gives narrative. So it's not scripture, to be clear. I'm not saying this is scripture. You should take this as gospel truth. What I'm saying is like The Chosen or like other movies that take the scripture truth and flesh things out, we can, we can maybe learn some things from it, okay? So it's not gospel truth, but it's beautiful because let's show the picture here. This book is called The Prisoner in the Third Cell. The prisoner in the third cell. And the whole idea is that the prisoner in the third cell we see is John the Baptist when he's waiting and he's sending out his disciples to say, will you ask Jesus if he is who he says he is? So it's a snapshot of John's life. It gives a little bit of his backstory. And then it's a snapshot of what he's wrestling, wondering, did I get this wrong? Wondering, God, like, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? And he uses, excuse me, my voice cracked. Uh, he uses uh, 
a, a different verbiage. It's Matthew uh, 11, 6 in the ESV. It says, blessed are you who is not offended by me. So not just that wouldn't stumble, but is not offended by how I'm working. He's not offended by what's going on. That is not offended by how Jesus, uh, how he's doing this. So he's saying, John, look around. All these things are happening, but, but his voice catches in the story, in, this, in the, um, the book. Jesus' voice catches when he says, and blessed, John, are you. Blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. And he unpacks this and he uses verse 6 as a refrain over and over and over throughout this section. In fact, I'm not going to read it directly, but he uses the story of after John's disciples come and the next day we see that Jesus leaves where he was healing in in the um, town of Nain. And he goes on to another town to heal more people. And then he zooms in chapter 16 is this really beautiful hard section where he talks about he gives some stories that are not specific to the Bible, but we can picture them being true. And he talks about how the old, there's an old man who is leaving and wakes up that next morning, and they find out that Jesus had left Nain and gone to the next town. And that old man will never know what it's like to have sight again. He'd wish that he had only gotten there sooner. Why did Jesus leave before he healed him? And then he does the refrain, and blessed is he who was not offended by me. So there's a woman who is, gonna, is carrying her mother, or sorry, carrying her child who um, is sick and who has this, this illness and carries her and has to leave and shows up the next morning and says, why did Jesus dismiss us? Then my child will keep this illness and will never be healed. Why did he leave? We were next in line to be healed by him and yet he dismissed us. Then repeats the refrain, blessed is are they who do, are not offended by me. He says, there's a woman who has a, a child, of, a different child, and she's got um, a maimed figure, like, like her legs are messed up, and she will always walk with that. And the, the daughter will ask the mom as they grow older together, why didn't Jesus heal? He was healing others. Why didn't he heal me? And, and the mom will try to give some answers, but as Jean Edwards says, these were answers that will neither say assuage the daughter or the mom's concerns. And the mom will pass away and the woman will, or the, the daughter will grow up still with that disfigured body, that disfigured leg, and no, won't have an answer why he left. Blessed are they who are not offended by me. Friends, you could fill in your story and I could fill in parts of mine. Why didn't God do this? Why didn't he hear my cry here? Why didn't he answer my prayer there? Why didn't he do this? And we can allow the question of our whys cause us to stumble and can cause us to be offended that God didn't answer. But our whys do not take away from the who. They're real, and we bring them to God, but we have to remember we do not always get the answer to that question. Near the end of the book, Gene Edwards closes this section, and he says this, the question is not, why is God doing this? Why is he like this? The question is not, why does he not answer me? The question is not, I need him desperately. Why does he not come rescue me? The question is not, why did God allow this tragedy to happen to me, to my children, to my wife, to my husband, to my family? Nor is it, why does God allow injustices? It's not a why question. 
The question before this house is this. Will you follow a God you do not understand? Will you follow a God who does not live up to your expectations? And friends, this is a difficult question. Will you follow a God who does not live up to your expectations? When we do not understand, do we still say, I believe? Craig Rochelle gives a sermon. I'm not going to go through all the points, but he asks this. There's different types of questions we ask or different types of faith we might have. The first one is, I believe God can do something. He uses Mark chapter 9 when he says, the, the dad who has a, a son who needs to be healed, he says, I believe you can, or can, if you can do this, Jesus, will you? He says, if I can. He's like, no, I, I believe you can. So there's, I believe God can do something. Then the second one he talks about is, I believe God will do something. This he uses with the story of Martha when Lazarus has died. And she says, I know even now you can, you will be able to raise him from the dead. And then the third one he uses is that if I believe God can, I believe God will. This third one is, even if he doesn't, I still believe. And this is what he uses for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel 3, verse 17 and 18, when he says, he said, you know, we believe that God will rescue us from the fire, but even if he does not, we will not bow down to you. I believe God can. I believe God will. Even if he doesn't, I still believe. Friends, that is a hard place to be. And, I, and again, I don't pretend to dismiss any of the pain that anyone's feeling who hears my voice right now. But I do know, I do know that the why questions are not the questions we may find answers to. But will I be able to follow a God that does not meet my expectations is a question I have to be able to answer. So what do we do? Will I follow a God who does not live up to my expectations? Will I allow the things I don't understand take me away from the one who loves me? Will I allow the things I don't know to take me away from the one whom I do know? So what do we do? We can watch the lives. So what do we watch? We watch the lives of those who exemplify this kind of faith. It's a lot easier said than done. I'm going to read this kind of quickly looking at time. I've got to be, be aware of our time here. But Jesus, verse 7 through 15. We'll just keep this on the screen for a moment. Verse 6 says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Then verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is spoken. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not, been any, or there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. There's a lot there. But for the first time, John, as we've been seeing the first three weeks of the series, John prepares a way, he witnesses, he rejoices. He's pointing people to Jesus. And here Jesus is talking to the crowd, and he's pointing the crowd, to someone who lives the kind of faith that can exemplify what faith looks like in hard times. He says, look at John. 
Look at him as a witness. Look at what he's done. There is no one who has been greater than him. Not Moses, not Elijah, not any of the, the people, the heroes of the faith, not King David, not Joshua. No one has been greater than John the Baptist. And yet, John is the culmination of the set of prophets who are pointing to the coming of the Messiah. And when John dies, that season is over and the idea of it's from now the kingdom of God, that even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John because we're part of a new kingdom, a new interaction, a new relationship with Jesus as the Messiah. But Jesus is saying, look and see the examples of faith of someone around you who even when God does not meet their expectations can still trust in him. I'll have to go really briefly here. This is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he uh, was... A pastor in Germany had the opportunity. Um, he came and studied in America, uh, and then he went back, and this was around the time of World War II. He started recognizing uh, Hitler and, and the dangers that came therein, whereas other pastors were um, kind of lining up with, with Hitler and those some sorts of things. He started speaking out against Hitler. In fact, he uh, was part of a plot to assassinate Hitler, and they found out about it, and he was able to escape to New York, and then he realized, I cannot... I cannot be from, far from my people. I cannot leave Germany in this time. I need to go back. So he got engaged and he was wanting to get married, but he knew the call on his life was to go back to Germany, come what may. He ends up getting arrested and he spends time in a prison camp. And in April of 1945, two weeks before uh, the surrender um, from the Nazis to, to the Allied forces, he was hanged for his crimes. And this is what he says. This is a prayer that he has in the midst of this time. He says, in me there is darkness, but with you there is light. I am lonely, but you do not leave me. I am feeble in heart, but with you there is help. I am restless, but with you there is peace. In me there is bitterness, but with you there is patience. I do not understand your ways, but you know the way for me. Friends, that is gold. I do not understand your ways. You don't meet my expectations. But you know the way for me. Lord Jesus Christ, you were poor and in distress, a captive and forsaken as I am. You know all man's troubles. You abide with me. When all men fail me, you remember and seek me. It is your will that I should know you and turn to you, Lord. I hear your call and follow. Help me. Saying we don't understand your ways, but we know you know the way for us. At the end of his book, Gene Edwards closes with this thought. He says, your Lord has put something in your life which you cannot bear. The burden is simply too great. We think God was never supposed to do this, but the question remains. Will you continue to follow this God who did not live up to your expectations? And he closes with the refrain, and blessed are you if you are not offended with me. Friends, every one of us is walking around with guilt, shame, unanswered, unanswered prayers, questions, pain, grief, heartache. Every one of us could have a reason to, to run from God. And yet, and yet when we see the proof of God's love by sending Jesus, and yet when we recognize how much he loves us, that he came to a manger and we celebrate his birth. It shows how deep the Father's love 
is for us, that he's lavished upon us, that we may be called children of God. That is what we are. And as children of God, we wrestle with pain and heartache and grief. We don't dismiss it. We don't hide it. We look at the Psalms and we see how we can embrace it and run to God with it. But we also don't allow the questions of why to take us away from the truth of the answer of who. And like John, our expectations might be all thrown about. We did not think that we would be experiencing what we're experiencing right here on December 24th, 2023, whatever that looks like for you. But we know that God knows the way for us. And like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we have faith that he's with us. And we say, God, help me. Help me in this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fact that you are with us. And Lord, I know that this is, a, again, a heavy topic with heavy questions. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you go before me in any of the things that maybe I was unclear about or any of the things that maybe didn't make as much sense or any of the things that we heard today and we wrestle with and we don't know what to do with. Holy Spirit, may you, may you be continuing to work in each of our lives to receive what it is you have for us this morning. And Lord, we look at people like John the Baptist and people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and like people that we know and love from the church who have gone through incredibly difficult trials. And they say, God, I believe you can do something. I believe you will do something. But even if you don't, I'll still believe in you because the questions of why will never take me from the truth of who Jesus is, that we haven't gotten it wrong. That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, our Lord and our Savior. May we fix our eyes upon him this morning. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.